lot of the folks when born and you know you get the birth announcements sometimes you there you know with the family and you, you see them grow up from a from a little baby and uh, you watch them over the years they make a profession of faith they get involved in you know Sunday school in Awana and vacation Bible school and all of our ministries and then before you know it they're they're, they're grown and, and you and you look back and uh, as you're watching him grow up, you, you, as a pastor, you can't help but, like you do your own kids, you can't help but wonder, I, I wonder if they'll ever really be serious about serving God. And, uh, boy, when you look out here 20, 30 years later and you, and you see them, it's like it's just a wow moment every week because, you know, back whenever they're young, you, you know, you don't have a clue what they're going to turn out to be. You know, some of them, you, uh, knuckleheads, about the only way you can describe them. Or, you know, they just—it's like that kid's never going to amount to anything. You know, I, some of you sitting there wondering, who, who's he thinking about? I'll never tell. I'll never tell. But I've learned over the years, and, and just like every parent here, you've noticed that—that. That, uh, Children fa fail to see the value in, in things. You know, they'd rather have a dime today than have a dollar tomorrow. If you offer them a dollar, they'd rather have a donut. That's more valuable to them. They'd rather have, they'd rather have candy than they would have cornbread or cabbage. And boy, they're, that's messed up when you want candy <laughs> over cornbread and cabbage, I'll tell you. And, uh, but that's just part of being a child. Those little, little ones, you, you, you love them so much. Let me tell you, that little rascal is a toddler to flush your wedding ring down the commode in a heartbeat. Why? They don't see any value in that. that you know, that doesn't mean a thing to them, you know. But uh, children aren't the only ones with that problem. Adults, a lot of times, fail to see uh, what's valuable and what's not. I think about Esau traded his birthright for a bowl of chili. Well, not actually chili as a mess of red pottage, but uh, it amounts to the same thing. He traded his birthright. As valuable as that was, here he was famished. He was starving to death, he thinks anyway, and he's got to have something to eat. And boy, his brother took advantage of him. He was good at that, by the way, his brother was. And he lost his birthright as a result of his physical hunger. And, and then, of course, there's the, you know, there's the young, rich young ruler that uh, wanted riches more than he did redemption. That's, that's all he could think about is the value of the money that he possessed and getting more. And like the one fellow said in the, that he's going to tear down his barns, he's going to build more barns. He, he couldn't get enough and didn't realize that salvation is what is really important. I think about the prodigal son. The prodigal son that wanted his freedom more than his father. Now remember, his father's not only the one that brought him into this world and sustained him. His father is the one that cared for him more than anybody else on earth. And yet he wanted his freedom. And he turned his back on his daddy, took his part of the inheritance, and went out and wasted it all. He did not realize the value of what he had at home until he lost it his freedom. He went out to look for his freedom and he lost it. 
You know, when you don't know what's valuable and what's not, you make some really dumb decisions. And we've all been there. As I was thinking about this message, and I was thinking back before I was saved, and by the time I was a teenager, I probably had more guns than, than the average person will ever own in their life. I had one German drilling three-barrel gun, for those of you that don't know, and it's all engraved, worth no telling how many thousands of dollars. And all of that stuff, that's back before I was saved, when I was drinking, every time I needed more money to drink, I'd go down and hock the gun, palm the gun, knowing at the time, I'll never have enough money to get that back out, so all of it ended up in the pawn shop somewhere. How stupid could anybody be to do that? But that's what people do when they don't recognize what is really valuable. Uh, there was an article, uh, in, in fact, it was just this morning, I noticed on the News for Christians website, and here's what it said, the values that built Western civilization are the ones we are discarding. And if you keep up with anything going on in the world today, you know that's true. And the older you are, the more aware you are of that fact. The very values that built this nation are the things that if the liberals no longer want, care anything about. We live in a day where most people don't know what's valuable and what's not. So turn over to Matthew chapter 10 with me, please. Matthew chapter 10. We're going to begin reading this morning in verse number 27. And the Lord, I wish I had time to really get into depth in this entire chapter. Every time preachers, every time they pick out a verse and they're going to preach on this, it it develops into, in your mind like a commentary after a while. There's no place to quit when you get started. And when you take it all in the context, there just seems like a never-ending amount of information. So I'm going to try to focus on one verse, but I'm going to begin reading in verse 27. The Lord says, what I tell you, now remember he's talking to the disciples here. The Lord is going to send them out on a mission, and he says here, what I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light. And uh, what ye hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetop. I know one preacher that literally had a special day where he's going to preach from the housetop of the church building. I don't think that's exactly what the Lord had in mind, but it's obvious here the Lord wanted them to make the message known to everybody. And he says in verse 28, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall to the ground without your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, Ye are more value than many sparrows. Amen. That is a remarkable statement. Yes. Years ago, I read about three young men who were, they were at a, a national museum, and these three young men were standing there, and they were looking at a, a display. It was a, it, it was a big case there that contained the chemical analysis of a man who weighed 150 pounds, and, and they had labels on each one of the one of the ten containers, 
And this is what those labels said. This, this is what constituted a man 150 pounds. First, the first jar, gas, oxygen, hydrogen, nitrogen, 3,500 feet. Number two, enough iron to make seven spike nails. Number three, 24 ounces of phosphorus, enough to make heads for several hundred matches. Number four, 18 pounds of carbon, enough to make lead for 780 dozen pencils. That one really shocked me. Number five, 38 quarts of water, enough to wash a pair of blankets. Number six, two pounds of lime, enough to whitewash a good-sized chicken coop. Number seven, 20 teaspoons of salt, enough to season several meals. Number eight, 60 cubes of sugar, that's enough to sweeten uh, 30 cups of coffee. Number nine, enough tallow to make 10 dozen candles. Number 10, four pounds of starch. And on the case, it was written there in big letters, this is all that remains of a man who in life weighed 150 pounds. One of the young men standing there said, there ain't much to him. There ain't much to him. He said, you could buy the whole thing at the drugstore for $4.98. The other young man said, uh, not worth much. The other young man said, yeah, but he ain't all there. And that's the point. He ain't all there. That's just the chemical parts of, of, of the person. The, the real person is the person within. Amen. And notice what the Lord said, ye are more value than many sparrows. He wasn't talking about all of the chemical makeup of the human body there. He has something much more valuable in mind than that. And that part of the body that is not there is the real you that's, that's within the soul of man. Man has a body, but man is a soul. Go back in Genesis and where the Lord took, you know, the dust of the earth and he created man. And what? He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. A lot of people put a lot of emphasis, you know, on their, on their body. But here he says, you are more value than many sparrows. People literally back in those days ate sparrows, by the way. That was kind of a uh, bottom of the line food for them. But a lot of times uh, that's, they didn't have much money. And, and so that's, that's what they ate. Don't misunderstand this. When he says you are of more value than many sparrows, he's, he's, not, he's not talking about our worthiness. He's not talking about self-esteem. He's not talking about loving ourselves. He's not saying there's something really valuable about you because you are so good or dedicated or anything else. We have absolutely no value apart from Christ. Amen. That's where our value comes from. The fact that God loves us. And that, that's, that's what he was communicating to them. I'm going to send you out on a mission. I want you to preach my message of the kingdom of God from the housetop. But, by the way, there, people are going to hate you. People are going to come after you. But he said, don't fear them. You fear the one that's able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. So the Lord, he is letting them know in no uncertain terms that 
I care about you to the extent I know exactly how many hairs are on your head. And that's true for each and every one of us. You say, I don't know. I don't know how he could count all of those. Well, he's God. Nothing too hard for God. There's no way I can, I can sit here for two weeks trying to explain God to you and it'd be a miserable failure. I can't explain God to you. He is what he is. He's the great I am, the, the self-sufficient one who is not in need of anyone else, by the way. He's self-sufficient. And yet, he created man in the likeness of his image. That's why we call grace amazing. It's amazing to think that God would love us, that he would value us so much that he would be willing to become a man, condescend down to this sinful earth, walk the dusty trails of Galilee, be nailed to an old rugged cross, and die in our stead. I'm not asking you to understand that because nobody can comprehend the greatness of God's grace. But we, although we can't understand it, we can stand on it. Amen. We can stand on that as a firm fact. So this morning, we've been talking about things that are valuable and things that are not. And I want to speak to you this morning about the value of a soul. And to do that, we need to look at it from three different perspectives. We need to look at it from the vantage point of the Savior, and then of the saints, and then of the sinner. So whenever we think about the Savior and the value of a soul as related to him, think about this. God wrote only one book, and it was written for the purpose to show sinful man how he could be reconciled to a holy God. That's amazing. Think about it. God could have written a book explaining uh, how we could enjoy the best possible health, right? I mean, a lot of people are really interested in that, but I think we all are when we get sick. But there are people that are so concerned, you know, about their, uh, about their health that they stay on a rigid diet, they exercise and, and do all of those things that's going to make them more healthy. God could have put that in his book. He could have written in that book uh, some, uh, some formula, a magical drug. How about for COVID? God could have done that. He could have, he could have written that somewhere in the Bible. You know, find there's a pandemic of COVID and somebody says, oh, oh, that, that's over in uh, such and such book, certain verse. God, God tells us exactly how to get rid of that. God could have done that. We wouldn't be hunting for a cure for cancer and all of these other diseases. He could have written a book, How to Get Rich. How about that one? Boy, that'd be a bestseller. God, you know, all these people trying to figure the market out and, and talking about you know, the indebtedness of our country. How, how, how do we get out of debt? Some of them are so brilliant, they say, you've got to spend more money. Well, I, I don't know. Yeah, literally, we got leaders in Washington that believe that's the way to get out of debt. Spend more money. It's, it's, it's amazing. But God could have told us uh, how to get rich without a problem. He, he, could have, he could have given us a map showing us the location of all of the gold mines, all of the silver mines, all the oil fields. God could have given us a map showing us right where all of those things, those precious stones, where it's all at. But he didn't do that. He could have 
he get written a book about how to, you know, construct the best time-saving devices, better than a microwave, better than one of those, what do they call them, those air cooker things? Air fryer, man, I, we we got one of those, and I wish that we'd. I, I wish somebody had invented that thing a long time ago. But God, listen. Years ago, five hundred years ago, a thousand years ago, God could have put that all in His book and said, "Look, I'm going to give you some time-saving devices. We'll call it a microwave. And all you got to do is put something in there and leave it thirty seconds, and it'll be warm." But He didn't do that. God wrote only one book, and this is the book right here I hold in my hand. Yes, sir. And it shows us how we can have an eternal relationship with him. A relationship that satisfies our deepest needs, the greatest longings of our heart, and the greatest needs that we could ever have. Christ established only one institute. Of all of the institutions in the world, the only one founded by Jesus Christ was the church. And what's the purpose of the church? Matthew 28, 19, and 20. We're to go into all the world and preach the gospel, right? We're to make disciples and baptize them and uh, then teach them whatever he has taught us. That's the purpose of the church. He sacrificed all of the comforts and the pleasures of life that he might attend to fallen man. Though he was rich, yet he became poor, that we might be rich in him. The value of a soul, in, in, from the standpoint of the Savior, we see that most of all, there when he's suffering on the cross. Dustin brought a great message the other night about the suffering of Christ. And if you could just sum it up, listen. To sum it up, to see him there on that cross, he was beaten beyond recognition. He was just a bloody mass of meat and bone. The Bible tells us you couldn't recognize him as a man. That's how bad he was beaten before he ever was nailed to the cross. Yeah. It's beyond anything that you and I can imagine. So I resent these pictures of Jesus on the cross. I don't mind telling you, I resent it. Amen. I think God does. I don't know what he looks like. You don't know what he looks like. The best way to get a picture of Jesus is to read your Bible. Amen. To be beaten to a bloody pulp hanging there on the cross. You say, boy, that was really horrible, but that wasn't the worst part of it. You say, really? Really? I'll tell you how much he loves you, how much value he puts in the saving of your soul. He allowed himself to be separated from God the Father for the first time in all eternity. Hanging on that cross, remember, after three hours, God pulled a canopy of darkness, blotted it out, and he hung there in that darkness. And for those three long hours there, he suffered the hell that each and every one of us deserve, an eternal hell. You say, how did he do that? In that he was separated for the first time in eternity from the fellowship of the Father. Amen. 
that he disconnected, as it were, from the Father. You see, that's what hell is. Hell isn't about the flames of fire. It's not about the heat. It's not about the company you keep. It's not about any of that stuff and the sulfur and all of those things. No, hell is about you being separated from God for eternity. That is the worst punishment anybody could go through, and that's exactly what God, the Son, went through for each and every one of us. How dare you walk out on him whenever he invites you to come with open arms, whosoever will may come. And then for somebody to, to turn their back on him and refuse to repent. The Bible says that repentance is something that's not, it's not an option for us. It's a command from the Lord. He commandeth all men everywhere to repent. That is to turn to him and to trust him. What does God think about you? He values you enough that he gave his all for you. But then we need to consider the value of a soul from the standpoint of the saints. I mean, after all, what's important to Christ ought to be important to us, don't you think? If, that, if, if a soul is of that great value to Christ, it ought to be valuable to you and I. It, it ought to create a spirit of concern over in Romans. And I want, you to, I want you to notice what the Apostle Paul says. Chapter 9, verse 1. I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. My conscience also bearing witness. Bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have, now listen carefully, great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. I wonder what happened. I wonder if he lost something. I wonder if he's sick. Did a loved one die? What's wrong? Notice. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ. Who in their right mind would do something like that? For my brethren, he's talking about the Jewish people, my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. And, And then he says in chapter 10, brethren, verse 1, My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Can you imagine? It's as though Paul is saying, Lord, if it will result in their salvation, let me be accursed. Let me die and go to hell. If if me dying and going to hell, being separated from you from all eternity, if that will result in their salvation, let it be. I don't know of anything more like Jesus than that because that's what Jesus did. But I ask you as a Christian, as a child of God on your way to heaven, do we have that kind of concern for those that are lost? We ought to, we need to. God would break our heart over those that are unsaved. It ought to motivate us to witness It ought to provoke us to holy living because, believe me, the moment you say that you're a Christian, you're a target. People are going to have their eyes on you, and they won't hesitate. If they see any inconsistency, any supposed hypocrisy at all, they're looking for a reason to judge you, criticize you. And we should never willingly give them a reason. 
That's why the Bible says we're to be blameless. That means that no indictable charge could be brought against us. We ought to be concerned about their soul, and we, it ought to provoke us to holy living. It ought to cause us to work together. It deserves our very best effort. Years ago, there's a revival meeting, true story going on out in Oklahoma, and uh, one, of, one of the fellows in the neighborhood that the preacher had witnessed to a few times, you know how that is, you witness to someone one time and you think, well, I've told them and you never think about them again. But during the revival meeting, this fellow named Jim drowned and uh, they searched and searched and searched. For three days, they searched for his body. And finally, they found the body and as they're standing around this deceased man, the preacher said, oh, Jim, if we had have been as concerned about your soul as we are about your body, you wouldn't be in hell right now. Yeah, three days, all day long, three days, they were looking for that body. Finally, they found the body. Three days, but he's dead now. He's gone. He's died and gone to hell. But they spent three days looking for his body. But they never expressed any concern about the soul of that man while he was living. And mark it down there. Many times you and I will neglect our responsibility until the person, maybe a friend, maybe a relative, they're dead and they're gone. And it's like that old song says, you never mentioned him to me. May that never be said about any of us. Serving God's not always fun. It's not always easy. Sometimes we have to do things that, we, that are not appreciated by others and things that are not easy for us. But for Christ's sake and for the concern of the soul of that person, we need to do everything in our power to bring them to a saving knowledge of Christ. Remember what he said there in John, even as, even as the Father has sent me into the world, he says, even so send I you. It's not an option, it's a matter of us obeying the Lord. And every soul ought to be of great value to you and I, just as it was to our Savior. But then there's another aspect that we need to consider the value of a soul and that's for the sinner and by the way we're all sinners i i don't use that in a way to disparage you in any way whatsoever because i'm no better than anybody else i but i'm saved and every christian here is a sinner if you're here today and you've never received christ as your savior you are a sinner and you'll never be saved until you recognize that fact a lot of people say, you know, they come to church and they hear a preacher really, you know, hammer down against sin and whatever. Oh, they don't like that. No, but that's what they need. Because none of us would ever be saved if we didn't realize that we were a sinner in need of God's forgiveness. If you're here today and never received Christ, I want you to think about the value of your soul. And, and that 
your concern for it ought to outweigh everything else in your life. I mean, you educate your mind, right? You go to school, you try to graduate, you uh, maybe even go off to college and you doctor your body, you know, my, if you th think anything wrong and you rush off to the doctor, you don't, you don't want to get cancer and die, of course not. You don't want to have a heart attack out on the golf course and end up in hell. But we do all of those things. We ensure our life and do all of that stuff, taking care of the things that are not going to last and then neglect our soul. It ought to cause you to investigate the truth. The value of your soul should cause you to investigate the truth. Because if you knew the, tr if you knew the truth, I guarantee you, you'd have a different attitude about your soul. You say, well, how do I do that? Open up this whole book right here. You say, well, I, I don't, preacher, I don't think I really believe all that stuff in the Bible. Why not? Where's, where's the evidence? Have you got any evidence to prove that this Bible isn't true? Because if you want to argue about that, I've got a lot of evidence I can give you that this Bible is true. So why would you not even investigate the most important thing in your life? And if you're here today and not saved, you need to give this matter your full attention. Paul said, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Today. You think we, maybe you thought to yourself, you know, someday, I've heard Brother Kenneth preach and Brother Stone, and, and I, I, I think they're right, and I'm going to become a Christian someday. I wouldn't wait if I was you. Whatever you do, don't run from God. I was pastoring in Humboldt, Tennessee, and out west of town one night, there was a terrible one-car accident. The woman was, uh, at that point, she was either deceased or the, the, some way the ambulance got out there and, uh, and loaded her up and, and tried to get the man. He, he was staggering around there, and they tried to tried to get him, put him in the ambulance, and he took off running the best that he could out, out in pitch dark and they couldn't find him. And they looked and they looked and they couldn't find him. And here's this poor woman out there, she's in the ambulance. So finally they decided, look, we'll, we'll come back in the morning and look for him or maybe he'll catch a ride or whatever. But we'll come back in the morning, and they did. They went back out in the morning and looked around, searched, and sure enough, there was his lifeless body, dead. He was running from the very people that, that was trying to help him. But why would he do that? They're, they're wanting to scoop him up and give him aid and get him to the hospital. Why would he run? Well, they discovered the woman that he was with was not his wife. He knew. He knew that if he got caught, it was going to cost him his marriage. And running, running away from the, the knowledge of that sin cost him his life. And if he wasn't saved, it cost him his very soul for eternity. Don't run from God. Don't gamble with your soul. I, I've got to be careful and not use names now. We've got people back in Missouri that... that watch this broadcast every Sunday. And uh, there was a fellow that owned a, 
I won't even use, name the name of it, but it was a cocktail lounge. Had its initials in front of that. And it's a place that I went quite often and knew him very well. And uh, one night, trying to impress people, they decided they would gamble, a bunch of them, Roy. Uh, come up with the idea, let's play Russian roulette. Really? This is grown men doing this kind of stuff. And he put one bullet in the chamber, spun it, cocked the hammer, and blew his brains out. Oh, not intentionally, of course. He, he thought the odds was in his favor and he'd win a big bunch of money, but it, it cost him his life and his soul as a result of it. Let me tell you, when you turn your back on God, you are gambling, as it were, that you'll ever have another opportunity. Don't assume, don't ever assume that you'll have another opportunity. It's never too early to accept Christ, but it can sure be too late. That's why Paul said, today's the day of salvation. You say, well, I'm not real worried about that. But you ought to be, because, you, listen, you could die. That's not the only thing that could happen. Jesus could come. And let me tell you something else that maybe you never even thought about that the Bible teaches clearly, and that is that you literally could cross God's deadline. There's a hidden boundary between God's mercy and God's wrath. And you reject God's offer of salvation so many times with an attitude of defiance against God. You don't want God, you don't want nothing to do with God, and you know what God will do? God will say, all right, you want it that way? You say, preacher, I never heard anything like that. Read Romans. He gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things that are not convenient. Most everybody's heard about the unpardonable sin and got a lot of different ideas about what it is blasphemy against the Holy Ghost and what have you. Well, how would you do that, by the way? Would you shake your fist and curse the Holy Ghost? Well, some people have. But you can so reject Christ to the point. Remember the Holy Spirit, what does he do? His ministry in this world is to point you to Christ. And when you grieve him to the extent that there is that line that only God, that only God can control, and you can waste away your day of salvation. You might be as fit as a fiddle and rich as Fort Knox. But if you're lost, if you're unsaved, you're in the most horrible condition that you could be in. I'd rather, be, I'd, I'd rather be saved and laying up there in the hospital bed eating up with cancer and knowing that I'm going to die. I'd, I'd rather be like that than to walk down the street without Christ as my Savior. David Livingston, the famous missionary, said, I will place no value on anything I have or may possess except in relation to the kingdom of Christ 
And that, folks, that's the way we all should feel about Christ, that nothing else is of, of value compared to him. And by the way, the best thing you can do to honor the Lord Jesus Christ is to trust him as your Lord and Savior. What an insult it is to God for him to say, look, I died for you. I gave my life for you. I suffered all of that for you and for them then for you to turn around and reject him. You're, listen, the Bible talks about the spirit of God being grieved. You, you know what that word grieved implies? Grief is a love word. You know, pe people you don't know or care that you know that don't like you, that there's no love there, that, there's no grief there. They can do what they want, but you don't sit around and grieve about it. But boy, when it's your child or your parents or whatever the case might be and bad things happen, you grieve. And imagine that, God himself grieving. That is, he, God is hurting by your rejection of him. Ever, you know, we think a lot about making God happy, pleasing God. That's wonderful. But when we reject him, we are grieving the heart of God and turning our back on the very best thing that could ever happen to us. How is it with you this morning? Do you know Christ as your Savior? You say, well, preacher, I, I kind of think I do, but I'm not really sure. I wouldn't want to walk out that door today until I knew beyond any shadow of a doubt that I was saved. And you can. The Bible says these things are written unto you that believe that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know. And that's the greatest gift that anyone could ever receive. And if you're here and you know Christ as your Savior, think about your loved ones or your neighbor or your co-workers or classmates those that do not know Christ as their Savior. God help us to leave here today with the determination that we're going to do our best to tell them about Jesus. Would you bow your heads together, Christians, you be praying. Or if God's speaking to your heart about maybe your neglect of witnessing to others and your lack of concern for others, I don't know what God might be saying to you. He might be here today and God might be telling you, look, this is the church where I want you to serve me. I, I, I don't know that. I, we don't want you to join here if this is not where God wants you to be. I want, I want you to be where God wants you to be. That's what matters. Maybe you're here today and you're just back in that spot where you've been before, where you're just hoping to hurry up and get this service over so I can get out of here. I, you might be here and you might be scared. You don't want to walk down this aisle in front of all these people. In your mind, that would be an embarrassment to you, but believe me, none of these Christians here look at it that way. I'll guarantee you every Christian here would be willing to not eat a bite of food the rest of the day or, or anything like that. They'd much rather see you receive Christ as your Savior. Father, 
May your Holy Spirit move up and down the aisles and through the pews and into the hearts of each and every one of us today. God, help, help us to never assume that there's nothing that we need to get right with you. God, may we never assume that we're good enough, that, that you're well pleased in every area of our life. Help us, Lord, to be better witnesses and better examples to those that are lost. And Heavenly Father, for those that are here today that, that don't know Christ as their personal Savior, I pray that the Holy Spirit would just tug at their heartstrings and draw them because we know that the God of this world, Satan, would have them to remain blinded as to their needs. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will draw them to the Lord Jesus Christ that they'll be saved and help them Lord to understand that they can be saved right there where they are just simply by putting their faith their trust in you and may it be so today in Jesus name while we stand and as we sing together if God is speaking to your heart it might be that just this morning just now you've received Christ as your Savior you don't have to come up here to be saved but Maybe you would come and let us rejoice with you. Come up here and take Brother Kenneth's hand and say, Preacher, I just want you to know I trusted Christ as my Savior during this service. Would you do that while we sing? It's 414.